welcome to the Seattle Coffee Gear Podcast. I am your host, Pat, and joining me this week is Travis from Counterculture. How Hello. is it going? Not bad, Pat. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here. This is like the coolest because, you know, the goal when I got the permission to do this podcast was to eventually do this stuff and have like two people, same room, talking about, you know, coffee and machines and and whatever else comes to mind. And uh, so it's exciting to have you here because it's like the first time we've really been able to do it. So yeah, I am pumped. I really like being in this space. This is a very cool little recording space you got. So very uh, happy to be, yeah. apparently be the first one to come in. Yeah, this yeah, space. yeah. Jake and I have recorded an episode in here like with all the lights off and a podcasting mic instead of the camera setup. And it was frankly not the best. So yeah. it's really nice to have like, you know, we have we have video person here filming everything. Live we've studio got, audience. Yeah, we've got lighting. It's really, it's awesome. So it's super exciting. And like, if you're listening to this, when it goes up, there's going to be uh, something that we're going to do with the video. We're not sure if we're just going to put the whole episode up on the channel or cut it up and do some stuff. So stay tuned to the YouTube channel if you want to see some of the visual aids we've got and see the, the setup with the, the, the uh, space. So yeah, it's really cool. Um, so we've got, I've got a, we had a bunch of stuff to talk about uh, because Counterculture is a roaster we've worked with forever and there's tons of of things we can hit on. But um, every time we used to do an episode, I always ask, is there anything like coffee wise, whether it's something in Counterculture or something completely different that you're that you've been hitting in the last few weeks that you're into? We recently started teaching Specialty Coffee Association curriculum at all of our training centers around the country. That's awesome. This is a really big deal for me because I've been the educator for counterculture here in Seattle for the last five and a half years. You know, we've got training centers in lots of different cities around the country, you know, and so Seattle is one of these places where we have one of these in Pioneer Square. Come check it out. Um, but for the longest time, you know, we've taught classes that were our own curriculum that we wrote. We had our own certification pathway with a couple different levels and stuff. And all that stuff is really cool. And it's really fun being able to invest in baristas and kind of get people to kind of like level up like that. Mm -hmm. But the issue is just the fact that like coffee is a globally traded product. You know, specialty coffee is something that's absolutely around the world. Counterculture has worked with the Specialty Coffee Association in a number of different ways over, you know, the years and stuff. And so they do have their own curriculum pathway. There is an SCA diploma that you can get, mm -hmm. and then it has different kind of like, um, like uh, what's the, the right word, pathways, coffee skills pathways within that. And so right now we're teaching the barista like skills pathway. We'll be teaching the sensory one later, but it's just a really cool uh, curriculum because of the fact that it's all number one based on research. So we have like bibliographies for every single like fact that we teach and then test. And just the fact that it's a global organization, I think is just kind of supersedes a lot of the like, you know, as an American based company that teaches in America pretty much exclusively, we have our kind of our mindset of what like what coffee is supposed to be, what brewing is supposed right. to be, right? And there's regional variations and stuff. Obviously, you know, some places call it a shot in the dark, some places call it a depth charge. What do y'all call a coffee that's espresso on top of brewed coffee? Man, you know, red eye, black eye, black eye. Yeah, I've, I've usually call it a black eye. I think, um, but we had uh, when I worked as a I worked as a barista in Ann Arbor, Michigan for a oh, number no of years, and I can't remember now what I think we just called it like. A, a, a dirty drip or something because it's like a dirty chai. But oh with, sure, but with oh, drip. I, never heard I think that. that's I think that's how we, what we called it. But it wasn't. We didn't even have like a, a, a formalized term. It's just what everybody started calling it because that's cool. 
we were all working there. And we didn't even, at that point, I didn't even know what the Specialty Coffee Association was. <laughs> I was just, it was, I've it was never heard dirty drip, but that is so logical. Yeah. yeah like, well, yeah. we got a dirty chai. Of course, it's a dirty drip. Exactly. And that's just fun to say. Yeah. So we got this yes. curriculum that we're starting to teach. It's really super fun. We have like classes because it's also one of those things where now we have classes that are open, not just to the baristas that work at the like coffee shops that use counterculture, but mm -hmm. like we have cafe, we have classes that are kind of open to everybody. So yeah. that's the big thing that's kind of like been new and on our plate. And there's a bit of a splash with that. And it's honestly like, it just took hours and hours and hours of classwork for me to become an approved SCA trainer. Yeah. So it's just, that's a pretty novel kind of thing. And as someone who's kind of like hashtag lifelong learner, like I just really enjoy that part of being like, I have this new curriculum. That oh, I'm that's awesome. It's yeah. Great. yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that I, anytime there's like new, potential for responsibilities on my plate here. I'm like, what can I, what yeah. classes can I take to learn about this now? There's so much fun stuff out <laughs> yeah. there. And yeah. like, it's such a big world of coffee and, and you get really used to kind of the ways that you brew and the ways you think about coffee, but it's just a really fun thing to be like, yeah, we need to come up with like a definition that's inclusive of like Italy, but also Australia and like mm -hmm. also Scotland. And these are very different places, but they all have like really cool coffee cultures and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. Yeah. That's really cool. And is that, are those programs, Something that you would have in it, like anybody could walk, like, like can I say, I want to come and take this class at the, yeah. the that's awesome. That's really cool. There's like an intro class, which kind of covers yeah. like roasting and brewing and green buying and like some supply chain stuff. And that kind of is like a really good, like overview of everything. But then each of those has its own like effective pathway within it. So sweet. Yeah. Right now it's just the beginning and stuff, but it's a really cool thing that is, is definitely yeah, like a new chapter in like what we're doing regarding education. So, well, and that gives you guys the opportunity to, to potentially like, I, I don't know where all of your training centers are. I know we have one here, Los um, Angeles, San Francisco, San which is where we have a roastery. We have one in Dallas. Uh, we have one in Chicago in the loop, uh, New York city, uh, Boston, Asheville. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, Miami, uh, Washington, D.C., a couple of places. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that's exciting. And you sort of, you touch briefly on what it is that you do, but just to kind of get a better overview of, of your role, that was one of the things that I wanted to hit totally. at the top so that, so that we know exactly kind of. Yeah, so counterculture has this fun model where we've got different regions and we work pretty hyper-locally within each of those regions mm -hmm. centered around a training center, right? So mm -hmm. we have a physical building. That is where we do training and where we do sales calls and where we do classes and where we do things open to the public. So we have one of these in Seattle. And so right now I am the entire Seattle region. Mm -hmm. you, there's a couple different hats that kind of go into that. Sure. So my job is effectively to do new business sales. So I'm out there cold calling coffee shops, which is really super fun because that's actually the new part of my job. Um, I've been with Counterculture for five and a half years mm -hmm. working for them, but I've been working kind of peripheral or with Counterculture Coffees since like 2007, mm -hmm. which is kind of nuts. Um, so, uh, sales, account management, um, what else? Um, education, I'm teaching classes right now. And then just uh, that kind of stuff. So basically anything that anyone in the Seattle region who's going to be drinking counterculture coffee needs for support. So whether that is a cafe or coffee shop that has new baristas that they need to train, or we're trying to track down a package that went awry, or if you're a home consumer and you've got questions about how this coffee works with like the equipment that you have at home, that kind of stuff. It's kind of everything at this point, which is pretty cool. So cool. Yeah. And having worked for counterculture here in Seattle for, you know, about six years, like I've kind of gotten to see a lot of different ways that that applies and then like wear a lot of different hats and sit in different seats and stuff. So it's fun because like in a situation like this, it's like, mm -hmm. oh man, like what, what can we talk about? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think that's one of the coolest things about, and I think this is true of other food industries as well. I'm only really familiar with coffee, but um, there's, when you do one job, you kind of 
if it's something you end up being passionate about, you kind of end up doing a lot of jobs. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's just exciting and interesting yeah. to kind of to know about. Yeah. So like technically it's my job to get people to click on the website, but I'm like really into, I want to know how every commercial machine that comes through works and how all of the different coffees taste and everything beyond just the basics, because it's fascinating and it's really fun to be able to like, connect with other people who are doing other things and feel like there's common language there, which is, yeah. which is very exciting. You can definitely reduce it down to like, my job is number of clicks. Yeah. And then it's right. like, that's not, that, does, that, that doesn't like describe like the way you interact with people. Right. Like exactly. how you fit yeah. within the context of a coffee community and cultures. So. Yeah. 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 I'm with you on that. So the, do you, it, there's, I think probably most of the people listening are familiar with counterculture, but in terms of like where the, where the roaster came from early days, I would love to hear you know, if you have any, totally like if you have the story. <laughs> yeah. So the company is about 27 years old. We mm -hmm. got our start in 1995 in Durham, North Carolina. That's still where the headquarters are, where mm -hmm. our main roastery is. We have a secondary roastery that's in Emeryville, California, which takes care of everybody on the West Coast and kind of through the center of the country. Emeryville is like Oakland, Bay Area, right? But the company was originally formed by two people, uh, Brett Smith and Fred Houck in 1995. Brett had just finished uh, business school. His friend Fred really liked coffee, was also like a big bird enthusiast. And it's one of these things where you're like, that's kind of like a cheesy kind of start, but that's actually a really great beginning for a coffee company. It's also true, I won't go on a tangent, but it's true of like practically every roaster that I talk to, there's always like coffee plus another hook, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, like that. it's like, this could be a good business and we have a good way to do it is kind of what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So they started a coffee company roasting in 1995. And, you know, we had like a line that came out in 1997 called the Sanctuary Line. Mm -hmm. And it was like the bird friendly, like shade grown coffee back in 1997, which was a really super cool thing. Fred had a license plate that was jo bird Java. I think it was bird Java. <laughs> And it's like, we have this photo of it. And it's like, I mean, that, that's Fred, right? The unfortunate part is that Fred passed away in 2001. And I mm -hmm. really think that that was like a transformative moment for the entire company. Pretty soon after that, you know, we had codified, like, we are here to be a company that like has, um, um, pays attention to like uh, sustainability regarding like fiscal sustainability, environmental sustainability, and social sustainability, right? Like that's what this company is here to do. We're gonna roast coffee, but like this kind of idea of those three things, fiscal, environmental, and um, uh, social sustainability being how we're gonna do it, mm -hmm. I think is in a lot of ways just because it's like, well, you know, Fred wanted a coffee company that like made places safer for birds, right? Right. And so that was just something that was a very crystallizing kind of moment. And I think has led to the result of us making a lot of decisions that aren't the best pure business decisions, but are really, really, really in line with the ethos that we want to have in memory of one of our founders. Sure. And so that's one of those things where it's kind of a, you know, like having having training centers is a weird decision. It would make more sense probably economically to have retail cafes, you know, mm -hmm. to go to a counterculture coffee cafe. But it's one of these things where like, you know, the, the retail, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the training center space is just like, well, this is the way that we want to engage with people, right? So, yeah. It's a it's a fun kind of thing. Yeah, we had um we've got a roastery in Durham. We started building training centers. We had one in Durham, then we had one in Charlotte, then we built one in Asheville, closed the one in Charlotte, and kind of just kind of continued around with that model of we will have a small local team that does local support wherever we kind of have one of these training centers. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome, and it's also unique too. I think when like Seattle, for example, not everywhere is like this, but I know that Durham the Raleigh-Durham area is like this and Seattle is like this. And I don't know much about like, 
I would assume Austin is like this, but there's some of these, some of these locations are so saturated with cafes and with retail locations where you can go and drink coffee from roasters that, and it's cool. As long yeah. as everybody is able to, to thrive, yeah. I, it's awesome. It's great that there's such variety in a lot of these places, but I think having training centers is a cool sort of different thing to do. It's just like, like here we have, um, La Marzocco has their yeah. sort of, it's like a cafe and They're training center. Yeah, and and that's a unique experience, which mm-hmm. is really a cool differentiator, I think. Like, not so much from like a business perspective, but just from a, you know, if you're here, if you want to come to Seattle and check out all the coffee stuff, maybe you stop by the training center, maybe mm-hmm. then you go get coffee from Elm, and then you go check out like a latte class at latte or class at La Marzocco. It's like a way for you to build a full, fun experience rather than it just being hitting a dozen different cafes over yeah, a few days. Yeah, it's not just cool. a coffee crawl like that. Yeah, yeah. The La Marzocco space is awesome up in Ballard. So our training center space opened like a year and a half after I uh, started this job, moved here to Seattle for it. And so I kind of did this Harry Potter thing where they had one cabinet where we kept all of our training materials. <laughs> and La Marzocco has been wonderful to us, um, you know, uh, in kind of having this space available. So for a year and a half, we taught classes there like three days yeah. a week up in Ballard, which is pretty nuts. For sure. Then we finally graduated into, into having our own space. It was kind of like, would you stay on a friend's couch for a long time? It's like great friends, you know, but it's, it's a very cool space too. If people haven't seen, like we, we were just talking about before we hit record, um, we did a interview there, uh, years at, ago at, our training point, center at the space. training center and, culture, yeah. um, and, and you can go back and find that in the, the, our YouTube history. It's, it's very cool. It was, it was awesome to go and see it and everything there. So if you're in the Seattle area, it's I highly, I highly recommend impartially yeah. that you go check it out. <laughs> it's not like an open door all, all the time kind of thing. Right. Yeah. We do. Um, right now we have an event once a month, the last Friday of the month yep. called Shift Drink, mm-hmm. which is uh, taking place this Friday. Um, and so that's happening from 11 to 2 last Friday of the month, which is kind of an open house and pop up free cafe where, you know, we don't like charge for anything. We just have a menu board and a QR code. And so you scan the QR code and it's a donation based kind of thing, whatever you want to uh, give generously. And it goes to a local nonprofit instead. Mm-hmm. So definitely a cool kind of space to check out. But if it's just come like a random Tuesday, it's kind of a, exactly. I might be in there, I might you not. Have to, you have to yeah. kind of look ahead for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so I guess, uh, can you tell me a little bit about like the general roasting philosophy? Like, you know, we have roasters who their thing is super light. We have roasters who their thing is most accessible coffee. What's, where does counterculture kind of fall on that? That's a great question. I feel like we would go with what I call an omni-roast. Mm-hmm. And that's a term, I'll be honest, I recently learned because that's an SCA term, right? Mm-hmm. And I always just said we're kind of in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. So we're relative medium for everything. I think that, you know, I kind of always walk backwards with this. And it's like, what is the experience we want a customer to have when they drink our coffee? And we, the experience that we want to have is balance. Balance kind of above everything else is what we shoot for, right? So when in, in terms of brewing, that's like balanced, like sour, sweet, and bitter, right? Flavors, right? Mm-hmm. That's balanced texture and balanced weight. And so in this idea of like, if we can have balance in any brew method, that's the kind of roast profile we want to have pretty much across the board for our coffees, right? So the roast methodology that we take is one, which is pretty much like, how do we roast a coffee? So it can be something that can be pretty easily dialed in for any brew method. Mm -hmm. We have this phrase that we've used for a long time, any coffee, any brew. And I think, you know, if we go back like a decade, it's like, and we're even not even that far, we still have like, you know, coffees where it's like, oh, this is meant for espresso. It's like, oh, this should be a French press, right? And there's definitely like something to be said for that. But I think that kind of separating like the roast profile from the brew method is really something where it's like, I like teaching people, how does your French press affect your brew differently than a pour over, right? 
that's going to affect texture. It's going to affect, you know, aroma. It's going to affect like a lot of like what flavors you can get just because of filtration and brew method and stuff, right? So having something that works equally well as espresso and as, you know, a pour over and as French press is a tricky kind of thing, right? We definitely have a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of tradition in Seattle about like dark roast for espresso, right? Yeah. And those two were synonymous for a long time. What's your espresso roast? That kind of thing. And that mm -hmm. was just, you just understood it meant dark roast, that kind of thing. But like, you know, light roasts on espresso are super tasty. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Super floral, right? Yeah. You get yep. a bigger body and stuff. And yeah. It's like creamy texture. Oh yeah, that's it's my amazing. thing for sure. Yeah, right? And so not to kind of pigeonhole people and like, hey, this coffee, this one's only meant to be used for AeroPress, but only the inverted method, right? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> exactly. You, you can get really specific like that to a point. And we honestly just, I think, want coffees to be balanced. So as far as roasting goes, like we definitely look for, you know, development to the point where it's like you can brew this a lot of different ways right. and have balanced sour, sweet and bitter flavors and tastes when you're kind of brewing mm -hmm. that. So it's um, it's meant to be pretty user friendly. Honestly, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been my experience with like I always get excited when we have counterculture coffee me to take home because I know that I do a mix of different things most mornings, if I'm being honest and people who listen to the show know that I admit this. I just like hit the button on a super auto and I, and pull a long shot and that's my coffee for the morning. The first one but is medicinal, medicinal anyway. Exactly. That's exactly because I have to get it and then take the dog outside and then, you know, <laughs> it's it is a get me in a place where I can pull my shoes on and <laughs> go outside for 10 oh. minutes kind of thing. Um, I have the exact same situation. But then I also have, you know, I have press at home. I have multiple different pour over setups. I've got a drip brewer and I like to use different methods. So it's always really nice, I think, with counterculture coffee. I don't ever really worry, kind of like you're saying, I don't worry about, yeah. you know, am I gonna use most of this bag in Super Auto or am I gonna use it making drip because it all kind of works, which is yeah. definitely um, oddly unique in a way that, you know, we like, any roaster that we carry is a roaster that we've vetted and tried and we like their coffee a lot. So, you know, we, I like every roaster that we carry, but it is kind of unique to not, to have such a, um, have that balance in so many different brew methods, because in most cases, I would very much find the specific brew method that's going to work best for the coffees that come in through the door. And I don't really do that with counterculture, because it does just kind of work. Yeah. For sure. You know, I, like we've got um, uh, the coffees that are like the year-round ones, the ones mm -hmm. that have the fun names like hologram or gradient, right? That come yeah. in like mm -hmm. the individual bag as opposed to the coffee that has like the name of a producer, or the name of a co-op, right. right? And like those are meant to hit like the main categories of like, I'll use like air quotes, like American coffee drinkers. Yeah. So it's like the sweet and mild coffee. You, know, you get a big mug and you kind of like shrug your shoulders and you sit on the couch on Saturday morning and have pancakes. We got like one of those coffees, you know, and that one's fast forward, right? Mm -hmm. And so Apollo is the coffee that's always washed processed coffee from Ethiopia. And so it's always gonna be fruity, always gonna be floral and yep. stuff. And so we try to kind of like check these major boxes of like, what are the ways that people actually drink coffee? Then we kind of have something that really consistently slots into each of those categories. Because you're, you're right, there's a lot of coffee drinking where it's like, I wanna wake up and hit a button and I wanna yeah. have something that's consistent and I wanna have something that fits the flavor profile that I want. But then also being like, no, I actually do want to decide if this is going to be better as the inverted method for an AeroPress. Yeah. Or like whether I should use the paper filter or like, you know, yeah, the, for the sure. filter. So it's such an it's interesting, fine. for me, coffee, when I first got into the coffee industry, I thought of coffee very much like I think of beer, which is like, oh, I like these flavor profiles. These are the ones that I like. So yeah. I'm going to get those flavor profiles. Now, though, as time has gone on, coffee to me is a lot more like music, which is where I'm like, this is the set for this 
occasion, I want this. And for this occasion, I want this. It's much less about the what is my favorite flavor? I'm just going to drink that all the time yeah. with some variation and much oh. more about like like a soundtrack. Yeah, it, it's it's and it sounds corny, I know, but it it's I think coffee is so different than other kinds of foods in that way in that. And I think that's why it works to have 12 different cafes in one town and, and why it works for us to carry like over 40 roasters and feel confident about all of them is I'm never going to like tell you, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say counterculture is better than camber because I just don't think about them that way. Just like I don't really think about music in that way at all yeah. either. It's very much a, no, this is what I'm in the mood for, for this activity or for this time of day or for this general mood. Uh, and, and I think that's really cool. We kind of look at like coffee and this is something we've, we've talked about for a while, like as an ingredient and my background is like food and culinary school and stuff. That's how I had mm -hmm. my coffee, you know, first experiences was at culinary school. And so this idea of like coffee being something that you can use a number of different ways and get different results with. Totally. I think beer is one of these things where it's like you open a bottle and that's kind of what you have, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But being that coffee is unique because the end user, unless you're just going to a cafe, like if you're at home brewing coffee, you are responsible for kind of getting the best out of this. That yeah. kind of thing, right? So having something that's accessible and user-friendly is really happy in a way versus like something where it's like, you need to be really particular about how this brews, right? Because it's not just this idea of like, you know, coffee being an ingredient, you could make it taste, you know, thicker and more bitter. You can get more spicy flavors and yep. stuff, right? Use a French press, let it brew longer, right? Use less yeah. filtration, right? You can definitely accentuate like acidity and clarity, use a Chemex, right? It's gonna be super apple-y. We're gonna kind of like lean to that direction with any coffee, regardless of what you choose. So for sure, it's a really fun thing, kind of like, you know, separating those two and be like teaching people, okay, this coffee is gonna taste like, you know, the flavor that's on the bag for these reasons, right? It's natural processed coffee, it comes from Burundi, it's gonna be a little savory. It's gonna definitely have some of that like, you know, jammy strawberry stuff, but. If you decide to brew it this way, you're going to really accentuate acidity. If you brew it this way, you're going to totally accentuate body. Yeah. Which is just a really fun way to kind of be like, how do you slot this stuff in? Yeah. I like that music analogy, though. That's a good one. It's a it's sort of a recent thing I've come to, but I kind of, it kind of dawned on me. And, you know, it, it dawned on me because I was thinking about, I, I was, I, I, I became aware of people like pairing coffee and music. And I, mm -hmm. my initial reaction to it is like, that's super corny. That is like not not something the way I think about it all. But then I started to think about it more, and I was kind of came around to the idea of less that I would personally pair coffee with music, mm -hmm. but kind of developing more respect for that idea. And then also the way that I think about coffee is such a similar thing with there's like, a Venn diagram there. I know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They can, they can totally inter like affect you in similar kind of ways. Yeah, and not you to know, say it's gonna be the same for everybody, but coffee bags are like album art too so yeah. clearly there's a there's an idea that somebody's got to fully put the, connect the dots on there um so i kind of piggybacking off of that a little bit how does counterculture approach sourcing like is it the sort of thing where you're working in the same kind of long-term partnerships or always like looking for something new focusing on partners so the best case scenario is to be able to have a contract that you have year after year after year with the same partners. Mm -hmm. The longer that we can have relationships with partners, the more back and forth information we have, the more transparency we can effectively get in what our supply chain looks like. And that's really what we look for predominantly. 
Yeah. A lot of the coffees that we get, you know, in a year will be things that are referrals or recommendations from the partners that we kind of already have. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll get stuff from uh, like a co-op. Be like, hey, here's a here's a neighboring co-op that we work with that or that we know that you might like. So a lot of it's like referral based like that. But it's one of these things where if it's a coffee that we purchase for a year at the we will be asking certain pieces of information of like not only like what is free on board pricing, which is when we talk about price per pound and stuff, it's usually free on board, which means the price paid at when it leaves the country of origin. But like what's farm gate pricing? What's the price that's actually paid when it leaves the farm? And so free on board pricing includes things like transportation and certifications and like cupping labs and stuff like that. But farm gate pricing is like, now what do you actually just pay your farmers, right? Right. So there's all these pieces of information that we really ask for up front. And if it's a partner who is an exporter or a co-op that can give us this information, that's a green flag that we want to continue a partnership with them. Right. If that's not something that they have available, but they can get for us, that's good. But if it's one of these situations where it's like, well, like we don't have that, that's not really a supply chain that we want to engage in. Sure. So as far as like purchasing principles and who we like working with, the people that we can work with year after year that are responsive to us trying to push potential as well are the people that we want to work with. You know, it's kind of like coffee farm consulting as well, where there's a yeah. lot of suggestions about like, hey, have you tried using this different method of drying these kinds of dry bits? Have you tried changing the water in your like, you know, fermentation tank after 24 hours or 12 hours as opposed to just having it be the same water? There's lots of little pieces that we can use to try to improve cup quality in coffee, mm -hmm. which means it improves price per pound as well. And everything exactly. yeah. your coffee. So yeah. best case scenario is we get someone that kind of engages with us in that same way that we want to engage with them. And that's just something that you can continue to purchase year after year. And as far as contracts go, they're generally something that puts a lot of confidence knowing that because they, they happen at the beginning of the season, right? They happen like for next year's crop effectively. So even if there is something that's wrong with this, we have something where there's already kind of like a contract. There's a lot of monetary security that comes with that. We also like working with partners where we can buy a lot of different coffees from the same producer. This is that kind of idea of like a working farm. Like it works best if you buy a lot of corn from one farm or right, like yeah, from one dairy, this kind of thing. So we'll get like shooting star coffees that are like, you know, crazy high scores and have really fun flavor notes and things. But like only buying those coffees doesn't put food on anyone's table. Right. They're really cool and they're super fun and they're really exciting. And we love having them. And we've like, like got like black box, you know, kind of coffees that we have or like tiny little sets and things. But best case scenario is that we can buy a lot of different kinds of coffee from one producer it fills up like a, a shipping container a lot better and it's a much more holistic way of supporting effectively what is a working farm than just buying like hey this is the coolest 97 point coffee that you've ever seen and it's 100 dollars yeah. a pound and stuff and we've got 30 pounds of it so it's kind of a, like was a holistic way of supporting someone who's literally like you know running a working farm kind of thing is a, is a way of thinking about that yeah i think that the the business side of it for a lot of these producers is something that obviously conditions and pricing has improved as people have just started to even consider yeah. the people on the other end of the equation. I mean, for decades, it was just not commodity. At, it was just a commodity. Yeah, yeah. There was no, there wasn't a personal aspect to it at all. But um, I think that still like there's an interesting parallel to and it kind of goes back to talking about the kind of coffees that people want and the way that the, their habits and drinking them. Those super niche, unique coffees are going to be really exciting for kind of the amount of people that can purchase them. Mm -hmm. But then the coffee that's really going to be the, the thing that changes the most people's 
day is going to be the one that you can source a lot of and have available yeah. in the year-round coffees or, or in a single origin that's available for a longer period of time. So I think that makes sense that it kind of goes both ways, that those are the ones that offer the most sustainable pricing and, and stuff for the, the producer as well, yeah. um, which is interesting. Uh, and I think gets to, you know, some of our most popular coffee is Lavazza coffee, right? Like I... That's coffee that the people who are buying $97.00 a pound coffee are probably would probably scoff at, mm -hmm. at Lavazza coffee. But it, what it comes down to is that for a lot of people, it is just sort of what is the best um, the best compromise between price, flavor profile, and making it accessible that exists. So yeah, consistency is a big deal. It is. Yeah, consistency is huge. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And I think it's especially when you're using brew methods, whether it's a super auto or a drip brewing or yeah. even a, a press or something like that, that consistent. For, for those of us who, for a while, when I w felt like I had more time to dedicate to it, I would make pour over every morning. And that was like, if I could just have a different coffee every day, that'd be great because that's that's what it's all about with, with that brew method. But I think that consistency becomes more and more important as you start to your time starts to fill up and having that pour over becomes more of a leisure activity than part yeah. of your, your morning routine. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Well, um, that covers a lot of the sort of coffee and sourcing and roasting and, and brew methods and stuff. But I'm curious for you personally, is there anything from counterculture's past? Like obviously the, every coffee's good, but like classic counterculture roasts that really get you. This part isn't isn't going to trans... Oh, that got me. I feel like my aha moment coffee was um, um, Edito Sun-Dried. Uh -huh. So Edito is a, is a co-op that's in Yirgacheff, southwestern Ethiopia, mm. birthplace of coffee, right? They may, and like we buy a lot of coffee from them throughout the year. And so Edito Sun-Dried was the first coffee that made me go, oh my gosh, I didn't know coffee could taste like yeah, this. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I did the United States Barista competition for a number of times. Did really well in 2012, made it to the finals. And my signature beverage was basically trying to recreate that kind of experience where it was like a drink that had like, you know, strawberries and pomegranates and barley malt and like cold brew or actually flash brew. And then it was a soda. It was super tasty. But it's one of these things where I feel like more than anything else, when I talk to like coffee professionals or people who have done this for a long time, and it's like, well, like what coffee made you be like, oh, coffee's different than just, you know, push a button. It's usually some sort of natural or sun-dried processed coffee, or it's a Kenyan coffee, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so those coffees are always the ones that, that kind of stand out. But it's a really interesting thing going through this business where you have these kind of like, you know, you'll kind of like what you're talking about, Pat, where it's like you'll change like, ah, I just want to make coffee today, that kind of thing, yeah. right? And so there's a coffee that actually brought one here, so it's not going to translate for radio, but called Lago Landrina, which is a coffee that we've been purchasing now for 16 years or so. Um, when I was in culinary school, and uh, we switched from uh, Italy to counterculture um, at the school that I went to, and I went through all their classes and stuff, I remember um, uh, Cindy Chang, who was the director of development for counterculture, making this little flyer. Like, she was designing it, right? That's and so, so cool. this was 2007, and so I actually brought this, which is a, a little um, advertising sheet that we've got from the, I think it's probably from yeah. the early 2000s, of Lago Alandrina, which is a coffee from uh, Colombia that we've been purchasing forever. You know, it's Colombia, so we get a fly crop. We get two crops the year out of it. We sell more sure. of that coffee than anything else. But I feel like Log Holandrina. And then I've got, uh, you know, the 2022 version of it right yeah, there, too. Yeah, that's so cool. To, to be drinking the same coffee for, yeah. it's like, that many years, well, oh, I just love it. Not to, not to harp on it, but it's so cool to me because you know that 
regardless of I don't know what their turnover rates at the, the farm itself are, but there's probably people in that organization still oh, yeah. that, that were there then and that are there now. And, and it's it's like their life's work to continue to bring this coffee. So I think that's like the most exciting part about the whole process for me is the people that are that have been doing this for so long. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we were talking a little earlier about, you know, hundred dollar pound bags of coffee. And to me at that point, it's kind of like you're and really this extends to all coffee, not just the super expensive ones. You're kind of buying art as much as you're buying a consumable product, which is really awesome. Uh, I think it's it's super exciting. Um, yeah, I really do enjoy being able to be like, oh yeah, remember Finca El Puente in 2008, back when we used to call it the Purple Princess? And it's like, yeah, you you, you see how like flavors have changed with coffee because of climate change and because of different right. varieties being the things that are, are interesting. You know, we had this big splash from geishas in like mm-hmm. the mid, you know, 2000s, 2010s and stuff. And so, we're at this point now where a lot of the plants that were planted in 2010, 11, 12, like, because it takes five years or so to start getting fruit, like, we're getting a lot of these, like, you know, like, plants producing and things. It's just really fun to kind of see, like, how these have changed over the years and how, like, yeah, we definitely think about and talk about what coffees can be very differently than we did in 2010. So sure, it's pretty awesome, yeah. Not to sort of take a uh, negative turn on it, but do you, what do you think are the biggest challenges that are going to kind of surface that less from a doom and gloom perspective, but more mm-hmm. of a like that counterculture is thinking of and ways to support and, and, and work around. It's a great question. And honestly, like the doom and gloom ones, I feel like we, we, we know that like COVID and supply chain is a big issue right yeah, now. Right. It's been for years, right? A shipping container costs eight times, you know, what it did two years ago, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And everything on that supply chain is just harder. Right. So, so that is something that is everyone is currently still aware of. You know, I feel like the things we talked about two years ago would be reduced um, arable land for coffee mm-hmm. due to climate change, right? Coffee effectively grows best coffee arabica like on the side of a mountain at a certain bandwidth based on altitude, which is temperature effectively. Mm-hmm. And as climate change happens, it moves further up the mountain, which just means that it has less arable land, right? There, right? So it's a combination of less arable land and then also urbanization, which means that second generation, or I guess I'll just say next generation, there is a lot of people who don't stay in farmland areas doing what their parents have done. They move to urban areas. And that's, I mean, that's me. I grew up in sure. central Wisconsin. Yeah. Here I am in Seattle. Too, you know? Yeah, right? So it's just a kind of thing where it's like, yeah, we want we want urban lives, you know? Like, And so sure. we want fun restaurants and cocktail bars and jazz lounges and stuff, right? We want Pike Place Market. But <laughs> that, that's different than like staying on like a farm and kind of continuing that. So th- those right. are the kind of things where like, you know, I think that we're looking at all those things ahead. I will say though that the coffee industry is super ahead of a lot of other agricultural yeah. industries. Yeah. Things like the Hema Agricultural Research Center, which was a, um, a an organization in Kenya in like the 70s that did a lot of variety research and did a lot of research into like getting ahead of things like, you know, coffee leaf rust or coffee berry disease, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch of like plants around the world, not we meaning counterculture, but like the specialty coffee right, right. industry. Yeah. Where it's like different variety of research is honestly something that's amazing. We work, we counterculture work really well with um, World Coffee Research. Brett Smith, uh, uh, counterculture's mm-hmm. president, uh, founder, is on the board of World Coffee Research. And so it's a kind of like pre-competitive organization where yeah. a lot of places like donate and contribute to it. But World Coffee Research is the kind of thing where like there's a lot of advancements being made for the agricultural part of the specialty coffee industry to make it like 
more hardy, to make it more sustainable for yeah. itself. So there's a lot of actual good stuff that happens with that. And new varieties taste great. Like it's yeah. really fun seeing these kind of things. So a um, bunch of fun stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I guess three years ago, the thing that as I was becoming more aware and kind of ed getting educated on the sort of state of coffee globally at with producers, like coffee leaf rust was the big one that seemed yeah. like it was the big scary bad, but it seems like in the time since then, so much work has already been done to mm -hmm. kind of combat those things that it does sort of, it is more the sort of common issues that is affecting agriculture and, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and frankly, just every industry yeah. um, that, that is the thing, which is good to hear as scary as some of those things are that the industry is so good at preempting a lot of the the more specific concerns that arise there's been a there's been a lot of work done decades before where we are now mm -hmm. and not to minimize like you know the the extent of damage when you have all of a sudden of your lowest elevation farm kind of gets wiped out because of the fact that at this point though you know fungus can thrive there but it couldn't 30 years ago that yeah. kind of thing but it is something where there has been a bunch of work that's been put into this already. And it's just, it's really impressive to kind of see that, I think. Yeah, I would encourage people to, who are listening to kind of do some, a little bit of research on, it's a fascinating thing to learn about the conservation efforts that are done to prevent that too. Yeah. Just, in, we don't have enough time, obviously, to talk about all of it here, but it's a whole angle of the coffee industry that I wasn't aware of before I started to really dig deep on it and it's it's fascinating yeah go check out the hema agricultural research center the yeah. j-a-r-c mm -hmm. um and it's a yeah it's a really cool uh kind of organization that's in ethiopia that did a lot of stuff in the 70s so yeah yeah well uh before we go i always we used to do we used to go talk to roasters at locations before the pandemic started and the thing i always asked at the end of those interviews was what so we if you dream scenario what is your favorite as specific as you as you want to be, what is your favorite kind of co like favorite coffee drink to make and and mm. consume? Oh man! So you're talking about music, and it's one of these <laughs> things where I, I feel like there's a different thing for different situations. Totally, like, yeah. I most like I, I most of my coffee growing stuff was in New York or Washington D.C. especially, and on the East Coast, coffee means like drip coffee. Like I would want to just have like I've got a Breville Precision Brewer at home, uh -huh. and like if I we have a coffee called Hologram, which is effectively yeah. like one third natural process Ethiopian, two thirds Central South American, you know, washed. Yes. Uh, like I I would drink that nine months out of the year until we get to our holiday blend, which is just like a flanner version of that. Like, yes, yeah. Like yeah. I would drink that every single totally. day. No, I, I um, love that coffee. Except yeah. for the fact that I'll out myself. Like I drink a third decaf now. <laughs> we were talking about this beforehand, where it's yeah. like I break all my own rules at home. I should. St I really should start doing that because now it's like every year I notice that oh wait the number of cups of coffee I'm drinking in the morning is going yeah. up by one like it's every year and it's not really sustainable. Fun, right. I would like to continue to be able to drink do this job and drink coffee for 10 more years and I don't know if 15 cups of coffee is going to be good. Um, I really routine. do love washed Ethiopian coffees too. Like that like lemony, floral, citrus, honey kind of like like iced tea, like tea kind of thing. Like I definitely love that hot or cold. That would be like an afternoon kind of thing. I feel like I could pretty much just live on coffees like Apollo and Hologram. That's what I would do. Yeah. I'm super, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that would pretty much, that'd make me happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to ha obviously have like, you know, if I could somehow get like a Lummer's Loco Linea PB at home, I would do that. Sure. Um, gosh, if I could just move my training center to my home. 
home. There you That's go. But there's just, it's impractical. There's just not enough room on my counter. Well, yeah, there's just a lot of money that. spent on energy. And also, it's like, uh, the, I think this question is fun because it's down to interpretation because, like, my ideal cup of coffee would also involve not having to do anything for the rest of the day yeah. and being able to just, like, focus on making it, spend a half an hour on the perfect cup of coffee in the morning and yeah. then have three hours where I can just read a book and enjoy drinking the coffee. And <laughs> I, I wish that for both of us. Yes. Uh, I get that periodically, that kind of thing. Also just Kalita. I guess I'd say I'd have to have a Kalita. Yeah. That's usually yeah. my go-to pour over. So yeah, um, I'm a V60 guy, but I like Kalita pretty much just as much. I'll, totally. I'll take either of them. I feel like I, if you, maybe this is like the wrong thing to say, but I feel like if you brewed a Kalita in a V60 and you were like, which one's which Travis? I don't know if I could tell you, which <laughs> I is, which be is able to either. as an educator, that is my, my definition of like, is this, like something I need to like push for. It's like, yeah. it's like if I can't tell the difference between an input of 18.5 and 18.6, I don't expect that it matters. Right, exactly. Yeah. You have to have some flexibility. Yeah, I mean, I think that we also talked about this earlier. I think that that's a big piece for me kind of going forward in the way that I, uh, you know, I'm not specifically an educator, but with the content that we produce um, in video form, this podcast uh, in written form, is to try to get people more in the mindset of like, like our, our our slogan or whatever is make coffee you love. And yeah. that is that it has meaning to us, right? Like it's 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 very much a you can sort of do whatever you want and whatever you enjoy that and that's the whole process of like maybe for you your enjoyment is is due in part to the ease of making it. Maybe mm -hmm. it is actually like kind of um being really detail oriented with the process, maybe it's 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 as simple as pouring cold brew out of a pitcher from the refrigerator. Like all of that stuff is important, and I think that there is no like best way to do any of this. There yeah. is no single best machine or best yep. cup of coffee. And so, trying to impart that and get rid of the t the term like coffee snob from stop, everyone's stop vocabulary. Stop snobbery. Stop it. Exactly. Out. Yeah. Yep. Is is, is kind of the way that that we want to be. So I'm super aligned with with all yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're the one drinking. I want it to taste good to you. Yeah, so. exactly. And I'll do my best to teach you to make it the way you want. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for coming in to do this episode. Uh, this has been awesome. Very exciting conversation. Yeah, I, this I was great. great. I appreciate time. this. And thanks everybody for listening to the show. Um, obviously, the whole all the ending spiel stuff go check out the blog check out our youtube channel check out our socials if you're watching this on youtube uh hit your your favorite podcast app we're i think on pretty much all of them so um if you find one that we're not on you can send it to questions at seattlecoffeegear.com which is also where you can send any questions for the podcast and then i also wanted to hit we're doing our cool giveaway with counterculture right now yep. yeah which is you can find at seattlecoffeegear.com slash giveaway uh, and that it's also going to be all of our social channels and stuff that is only running for a little bit of time. If you listen to this in the future, obviously it'll be done, but we're giving away a super automatic espresso machine and some counterculture coffee and a tumbler. It's cool. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Cool things. Yes, it is awesome. So be sure to go check that out too. Uh, and we will see you next time. Thanks again. <laughs>